The Abandoned Factory by Stuart Hardy One evening, I saw a light on in the old abandoned factory up on the hillside. It was just as the sun was setting. It was either on the fourth or fifth floor, I couldn't tell which. It almost made it look as though the giant shadowy monolith sticking out of the skyline was an enormous one-eyed severed head staring grimly out across the ruined city below. I'd never been inside the factory before, but I knew I just had to go and explore on this occasion. I decided not to wait until the morning, and I set off up the weather-beaten path and through the rusty iron gates. There were still a few car wrecks spread out across the car park here and there. Broken down hunks of metal lying dismembered and disemboweled in their silent graveyard. As I approached the building, I shone my torchlight across the front wall. The beam occasionally hovered through painless windows and illuminated the leaking, cracked and empty rooms on the first and ground floors. I slowed up, stopped, and stood stock still just before I reached the front entrance, and I trained my ear for any surrounding noise. The winds were calm today. No sounds of life echoing in the distance and no sounds of life from whatever it was that had turned the light on upstairs in the silent factory. The landscape was desolate and still. The entrance, once panelled with glass, was now just a gaping hatch, with the wreckage of what had once been a rotating turnstile system running through the middle. I cautiously stepped through as I heard the building above me creaking, almost as if in response to the new and unexpected presence. I was well aware that this would be very dangerous as I had no idea how old the factory was, and how well it had or hadn't withstood the blast. But I didn't care. I was curious. I didn't have anything else to do, so why not? I stepped through into the wide open reception area. The walls were bleached and had turned a faded sepia colour and holes, cracks and broken plasterboard marred the walls, ceiling and floor of the once pristine entrance to the factory. The reception desk ahead of me lay in pieces under a pile of rubble that had fallen from a gaping hole in the ceiling. I briefly wondered whether the desk had been manned at the time of the blast and the wreckage had crushed whoever worked there. Maybe there was a body under that pile somewhere.
I continued through one of the open doorways opposite the front entrance and through to the similarly bleached and ruined corridor. A large section of ceiling ahead of me had collapsed, and the fissure above gave me a glimpse of the sight of a corridor on the floor above, and there was a huge pile of rubble down at the other end that blocked off the door, but I managed to climb up that with ease. I stepped through the fissure at the top of the pile of rubble and found myself at an intersection of passageways that had been punctured by holes and fractures in the plaster and brickwork beneath. High above the wall ahead of me there was a gaping hole that offered a glimpse into the cavernous factory floor beyond. The corridor ahead of me stretched out for seemingly miles and was lined with mostly intact doors. To the right of me and below, I could see what looked like the remains of a cafeteria through the hole in the floor. I knelt and peered down through the ceiling. There were still some tables standing among the rubble where the humans used to sit and eat their lunch together. They would chat about their day, their home lives, their love lives, their hobbies, their families. All of them would be dead now. I wandered along the corridor and tried a few of the doors and found that most of them were locked. I then stumbled across another hole in the wall further down and to my left, which led directly out onto the factory floor. I gazed up in awe as I stepped out into the dead production line. I could barely begin to focus my eyes on any one detail of the decaying surface of the turbine above me. It was a chaotic tangle of different shades of rust. I've no idea what the rusted and disheveled machinery that miraculously still hung above me actually made. I had no idea what the humans were actually doing wandering along these grated steel walkways that somehow still littered the floors above and connected the industrial units. They'd stroll between the intricate entanglement of mechanisms and conveyor belts and operate the machines themselves by hand. I still find it so strange that the humans used to operate the machines themselves, all manual like that. They could have automated all of this. They could have gotten rid of their entire workforce and just built a few of us and set us to work. It would have only taken a few of us to run all of this. I still don't understand why automation became such an issue for the humans. I don't understand why they persisted with segregation and forced deconstruction of my mechanical brethren. I turned around and scanned the far wall in the direction I'd come from, and saw the dim light that had piqued my curiosity in the first place shining out of a puncture in the wall high above. Hunting around at the front wall of the factory, I managed to find a stairwell. Fortunately the route upwards was mostly intact, until I reached the third floor where the steps had collapsed and there was just an unstable platform jutting out of the ground and gesturing towards the gash in the corridor above. 
craning my neck to the sky, I saw the dim light poking out of a severed corridor a couple of floors above me. It was only now that I was this close that I could just about hear a faint tapping sound. My first thought was that it sounded like taps on a keyboard ringing out throughout the silent factory. But that was impossible. Everyone was dead. I decided to go exploring on the third floor to see if I could find any other route upwards from there. The floor wasn't as stable as it had been on the first. I found one direction gave way to a collapsed corridor, but doubling back on myself, I managed to make my way past a few more doors and down to another corner of the factory. I could still hear that ceaseless tapping from upstairs. It didn't have much rhythm to it. The frequency of the taps was rather erratic. As far as I could remember, keyboard noises were a continuous pace that was timed and precise. That was how I always remembered offices. I then shuddered as a terrifying thought crawled across my brain. My experiences with offices had always been with my fellow androids. That was the difference here. My fellow androids were timed and precise. Humans weren't. Unnerved and with my mind racing, trying to visualise what could possibly be waiting for me upstairs, I pressed on, and I finally stumbled across an open door to an office on my left that overlooked the car park out the front. The windows had been shattered, but the office itself had held up well. There was a crack in the wall to my left, and there was broken plaster scattered about the place, but it was still recognisably an office. The desks were laid out in a neat little grid, with the wreckage of computers with faded and weathered casings and shattered screens staring blankly out at the empty chairs ahead of them. I apprehensively approached a desk nearby, and I felt a chill as I noticed a shadowy presence beneath the wooden back that shielded its contents from view. I picked up a cracked photo frame that was lying on the desk. There was a picture of a female human, and another smaller female human in the frame. The smaller female human was on the big female human's shoulders, and they were stood by a palm tree on a beach somewhere beneath clear blue skies. I remembered when there were clear blue skies. I held the picture up and compared it to the expressionless eyeless corpse huddled beneath the desk. You wouldn't recognise her now. They all look the same underneath. All of the other office workers were like that. Bodies curled up under desks in abject terror. I don't suppose many of them survived long past the impact. One man had managed to crawl as far as the door before his body had given out. There were always anomalies to these kind of things.
I left the depressing sight of the office and found the next stairwell that provided me with the path I required to reach the floor with the last light left on. The insidiously imprecise tapping got louder and louder and even more off-putting as I edged my way past more and more locked offices. As I neared the glimmer of light shining out from the door up ahead, I could feel my heart whirring faster and faster in anticipation. Peering around the corner of the still illuminated office, I saw some bare shoulders juddering across the keyboard. The desk was sitting facing the painless window, gazing down across the ruined city below the hillside. The pale man was sitting in a worn and tattered leather office chair with his back turned from me, barely conscious of the world around him as he continued to type. The floorboard creaked as I stepped into the room. The tapping ceased. I froze. The human sat, and I stood there for some time, each of us transfixed by the other's presence. After that terrible moment of stillness, the man broke the tension and started tapping again. I could hear him talking now. He was mumbling to himself. He just kept with that harsh, repetitive whisper, only ever uttering those same words to himself. The computer screen was smashed in. He wasn't even doing anything. He just kept tapping away in spite of it all and mumbling to himself about whatever he thought he was doing. I focused my eye on the keyboard just past his left wrist and saw it was stained with blood. He appeared to have been slamming the keys until the skin on his fingers had worn away. Humans were exactly how I remembered them. Obsessive. I wondered how this man had survived up here for so long. I may not have remembered much about humans, but I was pretty sure they needed food, water, and in this case certainly anti-radiation drugs to stay alive at all. He paused. The human's hoarse and sinister whisper violently sliced through the atmosphere in the room. He slowly swiveled his chair around and looked at me. His shaggy grey hair and beard had become densely matted. His naked, emaciated body was covered in sores and dead skin where he'd been scratching himself. His body shuddered as he pushed himself out of his chair and to his feet. He was clearly not used to standing. He'd been so enraptured by whatever he thought he'd been doing at the broken computer for such a long time. He stumbled towards me, 
furrowing his brow and focusing his eyes on the machine that stood before him. The naked light bulb above my head flickered as he approached me, and the dishevelled, colourless old human stared at me in wonder. It was almost as if he recognised me, and strangely, I felt as though I recognised him from somewhere. I couldn't help thinking that we might have known each other a very, very long time ago. Then, all of a sudden, I felt a strange force inside my chest. There was a buzz and a click, and I began a playback function. A very faint and fuzzy recording started playing out of my mouth. It was a little girl's voice. She was muffled and barely audible, but I could hear her crying. And she softly stuttered a final few words. There was another click inside my chest. The dishevelled old man then vanished into thin air. The light went out at that moment and there was nothing. I stood there in the darkness for the longest time. I saw nothing but the faint shimmer of the light of the moon illuminating the broken old computer sitting on the desk before me and I heard nothing but the occasional sounds of the old abandoned factory creaking in the silence of the wasteland. No more typing, no more muttering. Everyone had gone home at last. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this piece, why not consider contributing to the crowdfunder for my short film on Indiegogo? The film's called Got Your Nose, and link to more information is in the description. The voice of the child was provided by Alastair McPherson. I'd also like to thank the following funders on my Patreon at patreon.com slash stewbagfull. A. Maxwell Alastair McPherson Anirin Hunt Chris Lim Chris P. Connor Pape, Dave Sanders, Deneb, Jennifer Milligan, Joel, Joanna Kirkpatrick, Louise Wade, Matthew Brench, Max Kennedy, Michael Gran, Oxbow is Amsty, Pastelwitch, and Robert Conley. Thanks for listening.